Sharing a meal is one of the simplest ways to connect with others. Eating together is vital for our health. Countless research has been done to determine what happens when we sit down with someone and share food. It influences us in a positive way and increases our feelings of well-being and community. When we connect with others over food, our levels of happiness rise and these good feelings fill out into the wider community. Is it no wonder then that Jesus chose to eat with others? Even those whom society has cast out, he shared a meal with them, listened to them, accepted them for who they were, and connected with them on a critical level. What happens when we have dinner with Jesus? Well, good morning. It is so good to see you all uh, here and uh, all of you who are joining us online. It's great to have you as well. Um, So I'm going to wrap up this series, uh, Dinner with Jesus, before we uh, move on to Easter next week. And just uh, thinking about what I wanted to uh, cover uh, this Sunday, uh, got kind of a a visual illustration in a conversation that I ended up having uh, this uh, past Thursday uh, with a woman who works like in the service industry. And and so we were like we were talking and and because she's worked in like customer service, like we were kind of uh, talking back and forth about something. And I just asked her the question. I just said, well, you know, like, how is your year uh, going? And she paused for a second, and you could tell, like, ready to, like, just, you know, give the pat, like, oh, having a great year, right? You know, like, and then she paused for a second, and she says, well, you know, like, do I dare be a little bit more honest? And I was just like, no, really, like, what, what, what's your year been like? And she just shared, just, and it wasn't, like, anything extraordinarily bad, but she just said, you know, I'm just, I'm frustrated uh, with it, because I'm learning some things about myself, and I'm wanting to live in a little bit different, you know, healthier way. And then she made this statement. She goes, she goes, I keep finding myself feeding my own dysfunctions, in which I was just like, okay, so this conversation's going to clearly become a little different than the average conversation, right, that you have with someone you've just met. Um, but I was just like, okay. I, uh, you know, I want to hear a little bit about your world and what's going on. And it was fascinating to hear her uh, talk about this in that it, the way she described it, it was like she grew up in this world over here. And it was all that she knew. And the way things worked in this world was like she always, like, she always had to make sure that the right people were happy with her and pleased and that, like, she would do anything she had to do to make sure that those people, like, approved of her and whatever that was. But what she realized was, like, okay, but this isn't the healthiest way to live. And I want to step out into this world over here. And it's like this past year she was seeing these patterns in her life where she was just like, this is taking away uh, the some of the deeper joys and purposes and and the things that God would want for me in this world. And even though I see this now, this was her frustration. And why she said, I keep feeding my own dysfunctions, is because while she sees it, she wants to step out of it, but she finds herself being pulled back into it. And it's like she's got one foot in both worlds all of the time. And it's just this kind of struggle in this. And I think uh, what she shared that we can all relate to, and and maybe it's different issues. Like maybe, uh, if we're honest, uh, maybe for some of you, it's a thing of like, man, like there's this thing where I always feel like I need to achieve more. No matter how much I achieve, there's a little bit more that I need to achieve because somehow there's a world that I live in, right? And we all understand this in our world. It wants to send us this message that, right, um, you you better achieve more or you're not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. And yet there's this thing about we know that out of our faith and and who we are in God, it's like, okay, this isn't isn't how God is wanting us to live or, or be. And it somehow takes away from what God's wanting to do in our lives. But we can find ourselves pulled back into it, can't we? Right? whether it's perfectionism or whether it's some other struggle or whether, you know, whatever that message is, we all, we all know what that struggle can be like at times. And, you know, part of what I saw with her as we uh, talked a little while longer was it's like she keeps getting pulled over here and she wants to get out of it. It's just she didn't have this sense of a profoundly deep vision for what this life over here is really like. And I think sometimes 
we need to have a deeper sense of what this life is, is really about to be able to step into it with both feet. Otherwise, it's like we keep getting dragged back over here. And one of the things that I think was kind of, is, is she related, like she used uh, like this idea of like, you know, like someday, like, the, you, know, they're, you know, in the future, is that sometimes we can get caught in this thing where it's like, okay, I get that what Jesus brought was something, you know, better and deeper, more profound. But I wonder how often we think about what Jesus did, and it's always like for some day, right? You know, Jesus came into this world, our world, with all of those crazy messages to point us to a different kind of world, didn't he? But sometimes we think of this as like, okay, I, I get that, Jesus, and I can't wait for that someday. I think that's part of what she was struggling with. Ever have a moment where you're just like, oh, man, I'm, like, I gave in to this thing, this message of, you know, I'm not enough. Or I'd like, I, I've got to be more competitive. And, and you know, and competition can be wonderful and fun until it's not, right? Until you feel like there's something of, of your identity that's always on the line in a competitive way that, that keeps you, right, from having that sense of being in that place that God wants you. And it's so easy to think about the spiritual life and what God will bring or what Jesus brings as someday. And as long as we think about what Jesus brings in pointing us to that other world as someday, we'll always find ourselves pulled back and forth, like, like the tension of having one foot in two different worlds. But I think the beauty of what you see with Jesus is the way he talked about the world he wanted us to be a part that he's providing for us. He used this term kingdom of God. And, and when he talked about the kingdom of God, he was talking about life and relationship with God. He was talking about a different way, a different kind of world. But you know what? Jesus didn't talk about it as someday. Someday. See, when we think about Jesus and, and what he did for us as, it, it, boy, that's going to be great for me someday, we end up with a really small story. It doesn't build a compelling kind of vision for another world, another way of living now that allows you to step into it with both feet. We need, we as human beings, to step out of that world that we've all been a part of and know and understand in those loud voices. We need something that is compelling and deep and powerful. And when we only think about Jesus as someday, we end up with, we end up with a story of Jesus that, that's too small. It's a story of Jesus where it's like Jesus shows up and... And he's got, like, you know, a, a fire insurance policy in one hand, you know, and a Christian employee handbook in the other. It's kind of like, well, you know, this is first, you know, someday. Get that fire insurance, you know, someday when you die, you'll be taken care of, right? Or, you know, here, here's, I want you to think of the Bible as, you know, here, here's, the, here's the good book with all the rules about right and wrong. And, you know, okay, you got your fire insurance and you got your handbook. See you on the other side. Right? Someday. But that's not the vision that Jesus preached and talked about and calls us into. And so he's going to have this dinner, uh, a rather famous dinner, where he's going to address this, where he lays out a kind of vision in a way that I really want you to get. Because I think the more we can embrace this vision of what Jesus talks about, and we'll see it uh, in this dinner, the easier it becomes that when you find yourself being pulled by the voices and the forces of this world over here, to, to have greater strength to step out of it and into a vision for a kind of life that Jesus has called and invited all of us into. And it's not a life for someday. It's a life for now. And now. That's the beauty of this. Now, the dinner, 
um, really famous one, probably the most famous one. In fact, there is a very famous painting of this dinner, right? What, what dinner is this? That's right, the Last Supper, right? So I want us to look at the Last Supper when he is with his disciples and what he does here. And all the Gospels uh, convey this story. I want to look at it uh, from the Gospel of Luke uh, here this morning. And so we're, I'm not going to turn to it right away, but if, if you, if you want to get there quicker, you can go to Luke chapter 22. That's where we're going to be uh, in, a, in a little uh, bit here. But let me, let me just give you some background to this. So... One of the things that we see with all the gospel writers with this story is how important it was to Jesus that this particular dinner gets set up during the Passover meal. He wanted the conversation that he's going to have to take place during what uh, was known as the Passover meal. Now, the Passover meal, just to give you a little background to this, was a meal filled with all of this profound, deep symbolism going back some 1,500 years from the time of Jesus. Right? The Jews had been celebrating the Passover meal for like close to 1,500 years. And it goes back to a really important event. It goes back to the time when the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt and God calls Moses to set them free. And the night before they are set free, God gives them all of these instructions about this meal that they are to have. It's called the Passover meal. At the center of this, uh, there was this lamb uh, that is killed and is eaten. And it becomes, right, and, and we, you're probably familiar with the symbolism of this lamb. And, this, you know, and Jesus is the lamb of God. And it goes back to this meal. And uh, the Jews, for centuries and centuries, had practice celebrating this meal. And if you go back to Exodus, you'll see that there are a number of very specific things that God had them do as a part of this meal so that it would bring in this symbolism that was profoundly deep, that would help them understand what was really going on. Because God, even back then, was starting to build this vision of a different kind of life that he was inviting and pulling them into. Um, now, the, this is uh, something else worth n uh, noting because it takes place. Uh, we'll see this uh, unfold in uh, the Gospel of Luke. In fact, all the Gospels. Is that in addition to some of the things that uh, are described in the book of Exodus itself about how to practice the Passover meal, over the centuries, the, the rabbis uh, had implemented new symbolic elements that were tied to this Passover meal. They were just enriching all the meaning in this meal over the years. Uh, so like the things uh, with the bread, uh, there were several things that they would do the bread. In particular, and we're going to be talking about this, is that there were four, uh, what might have been known as four cups, right? Four moments during the Passover meal that they would drink uh, some wine. And with each one, there was something profoundly symbolic about the covenant relationship that they had with God. So I want you to think about this for a moment. Imagine you are here at this Passover meal. Okay? And you have practiced this Passover meal your whole life. Most of his, dis his disciples uh, were from a Jewish background and would have practiced this. They knew all the different steps. They would have understood all of these different cups when, when it comes to like, you know, and now they take the cup. They would have understood right where we are, what this cup means and why we do this. And you would understand all the symbolism that was tied to this. And now Jesus is walking through all of this, and you would be familiar uh, uh, with this. And so I want us to turn to this passage, because I want you to watch what Jesus uh, does uh, with this that becomes important as he walks through all this. So uh, look at Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 14. Starting in verse 14. It says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at a table. Um, and why did they recline? Because they would go back and go, you know, only three people get to recline, right, at a table like this. And there would be a part of this story, um, part of that Passover meal 
where they learned that God was going to set them free. See, because, right? Because they were in bondage. Um, so uh, Jesus and the apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you uh, before I suffer. And and this is, and Luke includes this because this is no mistake here. Remember, Jesus has had a Passover meal with all of these uh, disciples and followers before. But there's something about this one that he's going to do differently, that he's been anticipating, that he's been waiting for. And part of that is because Hours from when he says this, he's going to be arrested. And he is going to go to the cross and be crucified and rise again for you and I, right? What we're going to celebrate next week, right? He knows it's coming. And so he has chosen this Passover at this moment. And he's been eager, it says. Because there's something, there's a vision of something that he's going to unfold here. That he wants them to know because he's watched them. He's watched them struggle where they get pulled back into this world at times. We all get pulled into that, right? Moments, right? Think of the last moment that you felt fear, right? The last moment that, that worry crept into your heart or your life, right? Because we're human and it happens. But it's because we live in a world, right, that tells us about fear. You better fight you better worry about that. You better worry about the scarcity. Like, like there are all of these messages. And it's like Jesus is like, I, I want to I keep pulling you towards a vision of a world, a life with me that doesn't start someday. It starts now and goes on for all eternity. See, he is eager to share this uh, with him. And he says this, verse 16, For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And there are those words, kingdom of God, which is his way of talking about kingdom of God, life and relationship with God. This is my way. This is, this is living out of the world with my vision of the world. See? Um, he goes on after this. Look at verse 17. He says, um, after taking the cup, there's the word cup. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And there's that kingdom again. <clears throat> and then he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, when we see this moment where it says, and Jesus took the cup, right, passed it out, and then takes the bread and breaks it, what do we think of first in that moment? Communion. We think of the Lord's Supper because, like, that's what we have practiced, what we're familiar with. So, um, two things here. One, everyone in that room, what they would have not thought of is communion as we know it because that's it's this is the first time it's happened right you know what they would have all thought of in that moment the passover the passover when he picks up that cup and that bread they would have they would have hearkened back 1500 years to the very first passover and what God did for them as a people and who God was and the covenant relationship that he wanted to establish with them in all of this. Now, the other thing that is unique to the Gospel of Luke here, and it's why I've picked it here, is Luke, I I love what Luke is doing here. Now, think about the order of this. When we take communion, probably wherever you've taken communion, what element do we start with? the bread, and then we do the cup. And here, uh, when you read it at first pass, it's like, well, did he start with the cup and then went to the bread? Why is this different? Actually, what Luke is doing here is he's including something that we don't see with the other gospel writers. See, um, as a part of the regular Passover meal, there would have been a cup, and they would have passed it or used it four times, or they would have had four different cups. And Luke has chosen to say, I want to make sure you understand that there's something about Jesus taking the cup here 
that's going to be connected to what he does next. And uh, they would have all understood what each of those cups meant. How, how they each uniquely expressed something about the, the covenant relationship, this relationship that God was inviting people into. And I, and I want us to understand this, because it will, it will deepen our understanding of what Jesus does next here. Now, these four cups that they had came from four different statements made out of two verses. So when you go all the way back to the story of Exodus in Exodus chapter 6, and we'll look at it here in a second, there are what's called uh, these I will statements. And there's four I will statements, and each of them um, is used for one cup. And, the, and it's God saying, I will, and it's this kind of promise that he makes, I will do this. And there's four of these and they would have one cup for each of these statements, recognizing. So, if you have your Bibles, keep your finger in Luke chapter 22, but flip all the way back to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. And I want you to see what these four uh, cups are. He says, uh, therefore, uh, therefore, say to the Israelites, so God is speaking to Moses and Aaron here, I believe, and says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and, here's the first one, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the uh, Egyptians. So here's the first one that they would celebrate. I will deliver you, or I will bring you out. And this is what God promises. And, they would say, and so there'd be a moment in that Passover meal where they would pause, and they'd take the cup, and everyone would drink a glass of wine, in remembrance that God said, this is, this is my relationship with you. I will deliver you. I'll deliver you. Okay, okay. he goes on. Look back at the passage. He says, um, uh, I will free you from being slaves to them. So here's the second cup. I will free you. I know you're slaves right now. But here's what I'm going to do. I will free you from that. And there'd be a moment in the Passover meal where they would drink that cup of wine and it would be symbolic of God saying, promising, I'll free you. Um, and then he goes on. He says, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. God says, I'm going to redeem you. Right? Uh, and the idea of redeem here is this idea, I'm going to reclaim something, something that was lost. There's like, like this purpose, this, this you know, uh, there, there's something that you, that you don't have, and it deals with their purpose, their plan. He said, I'm going to redeem that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you back on that path. Right? And then he goes on again with this uh, fourth one. And he says... Um, and I, this is starting with verse 7, I will, I will take you as my own people. Isn't that gorgeous? So fourth cup, I will take you as my own people. That when you come back to me, right? Because they have been in slavery for some 400 years. This, this Passover, that first Passover dinner, that was no small thing. And these are four things that God said, I will do these. And that fourth one, right? Um, you're not going to go from being the slaves of the Egyptian to still slaves now just to me. Like you might see other people that worshipped other gods. You're going to be mine. Mine, like the idea here is like my children. You belong to me. Isn't that gorgeous? And so they would go through that. And so what Luke is doing in this moment, what he's, what he's acknowledging is there's a moment where Jesus takes the cup. And maybe, maybe he's referencing all four of these, or maybe he's just referencing like the end of like, we went through all of these, and he took that cup and, and divided it up. And they all remember what this is. Um, but then what Jesus does next this is the thing that is so beautiful. Because, you know, the thing that strikes me is, I think about the beauty of that and what they celebrated. And yet, and you see this all throughout the New Testament, they struggled 
with being pulled into that other world, right? That other world, uh, whether it was secular messages that pulled them into that, or whether it was religious messages uh, that pulled them into that. Like, they kept, they kept being drawn into that. And Jesus, like, keeps trying to pull them over here. But even with this, like, there's this level of something that still doesn't pull them fully into this world, into, into God's kingdom. And then I love what Jesus does next here. Because I think he's, what we see from Luke is, Luke is telling us he's building uh, on, uh, on this. And this is the part where what uh, Jesus brings in now would be truly new to what they had ever experienced from a Passover meal. Look at verse 20. Go back to Luke chapter 22 and look at verse 20. Um, he says, and this is after he's broken the bread, in the same way, after the supper, so they finished all of the Passover meal portion of this. After the supper, he took the cup. Whoa. They've gone through all these cups, and now it's like Jesus is taking a fifth cup. After supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup, this cup right here, is the new covenant, right? These were all covenantal. And he's saying, this cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. This was significant. He, like, he, he is speaking as God in this moment. I have the right to establish something new to what got started way back when. And I think Jesus does this uh, for a couple of reasons. One, there is something he is building on the imagery and the beauty of what he did with the Israelites, you know, 1,500 years earlier in this. But there's something that he adds with this fifth cup that I think becomes something profoundly new. Um, that, that actually is compelling, that lets us pull all of this over in this new world. It gives us something to anchor ourselves in, in a really profound way. And, and I'm going to give you my opinion ab- uh, about this. But it's interesting what I think Jesus is doing here in this moment. I think Jesus is actually connecting this back very deliberately to Exodus chapter 6. And here's why. When you go back to Exodus chapter 6, in verses 6 and 7, where for centuries they had had pulled this together, right? And I mentioned those four I will statements. But when you go back and look at Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, there's not four I will statements. There's five. And that fifth I will statement in chapter, in verse 7 never turned into its own cup. And I just wonder if in some ways, because everyone in that room, they would have known the verse. They would have been aware that there's another I will statement. See, I think he's doing something here, and they would have all went, whoa. And he's, he's making something that's connected back here. And I have this belief that, they, and we'll see it here in a minute, that the thing that he connects them to, the reason they couldn't have a cup for it, is because there is nothing in this world that could capture the symbolism of what that fifth cup is short of the person of Jesus Christ coming into this world as the Son of God himself to illustrate what it really is. So I want you to imagine that you have been walking through this for a moment. I want you to imagine your life and what you, like where you struggle, those moments where you, where you feel that tug between both worlds in this, right? And you think about how it goes through each of these cups, right? That you're going through the Passover meal, and here is Jesus, right? And he takes that first cup. 
And this first cup is all about, I will bring you out. I will deliver you. The thing that pulls you into bondage, I, like, I have the power to deliver you from this. This is the power to atone for sins. This is, this is what he's going to do on the cross, right? He, Jesus has had a Passover meal with these disciples many times. But it, he's waited until this moment, hours before he is going to go to the cross, die, and rise from the grave, right? Because I think what Jesus is saying is, I'm the one. I'm the one that can deliver you. I forgive you of your sins. You, a relationship with me, is one that is bathed in grace and forgiveness. What is, what is the thing that weights you down? What is the thing that, that wants to just overload you with shame? And what he's saying is, I have a compelling vision that I'm the one that you can find forgiveness and grace and rest in me. Build your life in my grace, see? Isn't it like, this is beautiful. And it's, it's for you. It's for me, see? And then he goes to the second cup. And that second cup is, I, I'll set you free. I'll set you free. You will, and don't miss the imagery here. Because there's this thing that can happen we can be free and not live as with, as if we're free. The, the, the Hebrews, when they left Egypt, they had this struggle that went on for decades. And it was, they were free, but they still acted too often as if they were slaves. They lived as if they were slaves. There's this old saying about, uh, about what happened with them. It, and it goes like this. It only took God one day to get the Hebrews out of Egypt. But it took God 40 years to get Egypt out of the Hebrews. And it's because there's moments where they, like, they struggled to, to be free, to step into that freedom. And this idea of, uh, of who we are as being free goes back. This is a reflection of who we were created to be. To live as free people means that it is living out of who God created us to be. This goes back to Genesis 1 with what is sometimes called the Imago Dei. When God created humanity, He created humanity in his image, to have dominion, to have authority, to make choices on your own. It is a beautiful thing. But learning how to actually exercise that in a healthy way, how to truly be free, right? That's hard. What, where is it where you struggle? to maybe, maybe it's understanding, God, who did you really make me to be? Help me to understand that. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm the one that can set you free. I'm your creator. I'm the one that knows who you were created to be. Let me help you live out who you really are. And then, right, there'd be a moment in that Passover, and yeah, it would be the third cup, and it's this idea that I will redeem you. Think of purpose, right? You know what the Jews lost when they went into bondage in Egypt? They lost their sense of purpose, right? Uh, you, you have their whole history. Prior to being in bondage or slavery into Egypt, right, with Abraham, God says, Abraham, I've got a plan. I've got a purpose for you and your family. I want to bring my message of redemption into the whole world, and I'm going to do it through your family. And this purpose just flows through Abraham's family. It flows from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph, and they have this kind of purpose. And then it's like they find themselves in, in bondage, in slavery, and it's like they lose their purpose. And God's like, I'll redeem that. I'm going to pull you out of Egypt, and I'm going to, you will once again become the nation, the family, the people by which my plan, my message will flow into this world. And that's what he did. And ultimately, it came through Jesus Christ, didn't it? What is your purpose? Right? What is, do you wake up in the morning and do you have a vision? That this day, this morning, there's going to be something in this world that 
that I, I can impact because I have purpose in this world. There's going to be someone in this world that I can minister to. There's going to be a message that I get to speak into somebody's life. There's some good thing that I get to bring into this life to work on, to do, because I have purpose. Like you have purpose in this life. And part of what Jesus is saying is that compelling vision that you have purpose. I'm the one that brings that purpose. Because this is the kind of relationship that God said, I will redeem you. I will bring you back. What was lost, I will restore. Right? This is the beauty of what's happening. He gets to the fourth one, and I love this one, right? And you will be my people. You're not going to be, you don't go from being a slave of the Egyptians to my slave. You become mine. You become my children. You belong. Ever find a moment where you're over in this world? And you go, do I belong? Do I have people that are my people? Is there a moment when I walk into a room and I just exhale and know that I'm okay because there's someone that's with me. I'm not alone. I belong. Right? As human beings, we need that. And part of what God says is, um, you're going to be mine. There will never be a moment in your existence where you don't belong because you will always belong to me. Right? Isn't that beautiful? And I think we all struggle with this at moments, right? There's always moments where, like, okay, do I need to do this? What, like, like, where we feel a little fearful. But what if, what if, what if we could hold on to a vision of I know I always belong? Do you see, see what? I think that's why Luke talks about that that first cup. Because here's what I think happens next. When Jesus picks up that cup for a fifth time, there's a fifth I will that comes out in verse 7. And I want you to look at this. Look back at Exodus chapter 6. Look back at verse 7, right? And we see that fourth cup at the beginning. It says, and I will take you as my own people. And then he says, here's the fifth I will. And I will be your God. I will be yours. Not just you'll be mine. But this, friends, is something that separates every other religion in ancient times from what you see with the Jews. I, I've never in my life seen any ancient work or read any story or studied any ancient religion whatsoever where there was a God of any kind that ever said... I'll look at human beings and I will take on the vulnerable state of saying, and you know what? You won't just be mine. I will also be yours. That is, that is relationship at its deepest. That is vulnerable. This is God. I think this is the God of the universe saying, I'll be yours. This is the God of the universe saying, right, when you say, I'll be yours, what you're saying is, I'll be there for you. There will be a moment where life is going to get hard or painful or confusing. But at your loneliest moment, at your hardest moment, you get to live in a world where you say, no matter how much this hurts in this moment, no matter how confused I am, I know God is with me, right? He is for me in this moment. And this is why I say, what symbolism could you have that would possibly capture that? Until God himself says, I will put on a human body and I'll come and I literally will be with you and I'll be yours to the point that if it means I need to get on a cross and die for you, I'll do it. And so Jesus was eager to have this Passover meal to raise that fifth cup and say, I want this group of my followers, I want you to have a vision that is compelling, that is deep and robust, that in those moments where you're in a world 
that wants to make you fearful and scattered, that you will have a vision that pulls you back to something that grounds you in the life of my kingdom. Do you see? I think what Jesus is doing here is not just say, hey, I've got a little ritual we're going to practice that, that'll, that so you'll know who's in and who's out. I think Jesus is trying to build a compelling vision of his vision. And it is your vision for you and for me, friends. Do you see what this is? So here's the application for this morning. Let's celebrate what Jesus laid out here. Because Jesus goes on and he says, Now I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Because he is the one that finally brings the fullness of the image of what God really offers us in relationship with him. So when you came in, um, you were, you, you were uh, handed one of these. And if for any reason you didn't get one, uh, missed it or whatever, we have them. There's baskets back at the back of the room. And I just, you just feel free to get up and, and go get one of these if you want. Um, <clears throat> because I want us to take a moment and celebrate communion. But I want you to think about communion this morning as something that holds a vision for what God's kingdom is, that roots you and grounds you into a kind of life that gives you life. Not for some day, but now and for all eternity. Do you see the beauty of this? So we know that night, up in that upper room at the Last Supper, that, 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 that there were two elements that we know he wanted us to honor. And the first one was the bread. And so I'm going to just ask you, just if you just peel up the, the first layer, this, the clear layer, and just pull out that little wafer of bread. And again, this had deep symbolism going all the way back to the Passover meal. Um, this is made of unleavened bread. And it's because uh, they, they didn't have time to let the bread rise. They, they had to travel in haste. But what Jesus does that I love so much here is he says, this is my body. I want you to think of this as my body. That bread, bread was, it was nourishment. And what he's saying here is, I want you to have a vision of a life where who I am nourishes your soul. You, you nourish yourself off of who I am, what I teach, and what I bring. And so we do this. And so Jesus said, this is my body. Take and eat. And next, of course, he took the cup. But here's how I want, before we take the cup, I, I, want, you, I want you to go back and I want you to think of each of these cups. And I want you to think about in what way do all of these or one of these, what is it that you need to anchor yourself back into so that you can find yourself pulled back into living more and more out of God's kingdom now? What, what is that? Is there, is there something where you just say, I need to find freedom in this? And maybe as we take the cup at a moment, let it be a reminder that Jesus is saying, I will set you free. Maybe, maybe it's something where you just, you're feeling isolated and alone. And you know, maybe it's just you need to know you belong. Or maybe it's on that side of just because there's something difficult you're going through. And you just you need to say, God, I need to be anchored back into the fact that you're there for me. That in my pain, you're there for me. In my confusion, you're there for me. Or, God, I need, a, I need your redemption. I need you to bring me back on track. Help me understand my purpose. Maybe, maybe you just feel like I just, I'm going day to day and I don't have the sense of purpose or trajectory for my life. Help me with that. Maybe, maybe that's the thing. Maybe it's all of them. But what is that thing right now? I want you to get that in your mind. And then I want you to think of what Jesus did at that very first communion meal. When he said, now take the cup. 
right? And just take the top off of this. And he says to them, this is the new covenant. Because he is at the heart of this covenant. He is the one that makes this happen. He is the one that has stepped so vulnerably forward to say, and I will be your God. And so whatever it is you need out of any of those, what he's saying is, I will be that for you. And then he said, take a drink. Friends, this is a vision that you can build a life on. And then he did this beautiful thing after this. Um, and I am going to very loosely translate the Greek for you on this, okay? Then Jesus said, bring out the band, right? Um, it might more literally have said, and then they sang a hymn together, okay? But we'll take it in our vernacular. And uh, literally, the band is going to come out here and lead us through this song. And as you sing this song, sing this. Listen to these words. Let it wash over you as someone who is standing with both feet in, in the world that Jesus has brought you in his kingdom. And then when we're done, I'm going to come back out and I'll close this out before we go. Shattered by the fall, broken and forgotten, even lost and all Summoned by the King to the Master's cause, lifted by the Savior, cradled in His arms, carried to the table. Table of the Lord, I'm 